this is the Roaring Elephant Podcast for the 29th of January 2019, a podcast about Apache Hadoop and the surrounding ecosystem for anyone working with or investigating big data and advanced analytics. My name is Dave, and here is my sparkling co-host, Jon. Yeah, sparkling water co-host. Jon sounds less nice, so thank you for abbreviating that a little bit. <laughs> How are you doing? Sparkling and wet. Yeah, I'm all good, all good. Although suffering from some form of lurgy, so hopefully that's not transmittable through the airwaves. No relation to any current politics going on in Britain, I'm sure. Uh, Moving on. <laughs> we've got an interview today. We've got a nice interview today. We have. Uh, First of a two-parter. Uh, yes, because we had so much uh, content, we're not going to put it all in one episode. Uh, as listeners may remember, Dave and I attended H2O World in London at the end of August. Sorry, end of October. Start with the same mm-hmm. word. Obvious mistake. End of October last year. It's a year ago. And we already did a uh, review of our stay at that event, but uh, they had a lot of interesting things going on. So we asked a couple of guys there to, if they wanted to be on the show, to talk about, as uh, Dave already gave away, Sparkling Water, which is H2O on Spark. Or Spark on H2O, depending on how you look at it. Uh, yeah, okay, let's go with that. Um, so we have uh, both Pavel, we're joined by both Pavel and uh, Kuba from H2O, uh, both on the uh, development side of things, mm-hmm. and um, really both have a, a great handle on H2O and sparkling and water and what it all means and how you can use it and all that kind of good stuff. So as you mentioned such a such a lot of good content that we ended up splitting this up into two sections but this first one is really all around um initial introductions some of the concepts and uh some of the things that uh, you should need to know to know whether or not this is for you so yeah i guess uh without further ado let's uh, start the interview indeed so here we are. We are joined today by two guests from H2O.ai. Hi, Pavel and uh, Kuba. Hi. Hi. Well, that's a short introduction. Let's make that a bit longer. Please introduce yourself to the audience. Uh, okay, so let me start. My name is uh, Jakub Hala. You can call me Kuba. That's somewhat my nickname here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm in the work on uh, Sparkling Motor. I'm senior software engineer at this project and at H2AI. Uh, so maybe it's also worth mentioning what's our company doing and where I actually work. So uh, we are a company based in California, but we have offices around the world. Main developer offices are in Mountain View and Prague. Uh, and maybe I can let Pavel speak for a bit and let him introduce H2O and himself a bit more. Yep, good idea. Yeah, so, hello, my name is Pavel and uh, I work in Prague with Kuba mm-hmm. uh, and I'm an engineer in, H- in H2O. I work on uh, the backend behind Sparking, Sparkling Water, the H2O open source. Yep, and this H2O, I mean, uh, Kuba, you went very quickly over H2O, but uh, you're one of the leading uh, companies in artificial intelligence at the moment, right? Yeah, so uh, we are, uh, last year we have been marked as a leader by Gartner. Uh, We are actually, what we are working on in H2O is a machine learning platform called H2O3, 
which is open source, as Pavel mentioned. We have also a bunch of other products, such as Sparkling Water, which is based on that. We have also other some proprietary products. Uh, we are mostly being paid by enterprise support, uh, and we try to provide our software to community as well. So both customers, uh, paying customers, benefit from us helping with their fixes, bug fixes, but also community community benefits from this collaboration because we always push back the fixes back to main main branches in Sparkling Motor H2. All right. So you're very drenched in open source source then. You have a lot of uh, GitHub uh, repositories out there. Yeah. Uh, actually, I would say almost all our products are open source except the driverless AI bit, which mm-hmm. we can mention a bit bit later, mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah, we can mention that. Yeah, this one is uh, this episode is actually talking about the sparkling water, which uh, which already mentioned uh, earlier there, which is a wonderful name, of course, like a lot of open source projects. Sparkling waters, H two O on Spark, it's 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 beautiful. <laughs> it was obvious name, right? Uh, <laughs> if you have spa- if you have Spark and H two O, how how differently could you name it? <laughs> exactly. So um, why uh, either one of you, uh, sparkling water. So on a high level, what, what is sparkling water? Mm-hmm. So uh, let me answer that question. Uh, and I will, at some point, I will ask Pavel to describe, give us more detail about mm-hmm. H2. Sure. But conceptually, sparkling water is just a spark wrapper around H2 algorithms, uh, which are provided by H2 core platform. And what we try to do in this application is to give Spark people, Spark users, the nice, the nice way, the nice APIs to work with H2O via Spark. So we don't want people to learn how Excel actually H2O works, uh, learn all the H2O style of doing things in Spark, because we understand that lots of people, uh, lots of users actually have some sort of Spark pipelines already running or Spark deployed, and they don't want to change completely their code base to go directly for H2O, mm-hmm. for, for example. But they still want to benefit from our powerful machine learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe Pavel can tell us more about H2O, because it's really, without H2O, there wouldn't be any sparkling water. Yeah. We just connect those two pieces together. Yeah, so H2O is uh, something on top of normal machine learning then? How should I see that? Uh, actually, I would simplify it that we have just one platform, one, one open source platform, one product. That's H2O open source. And everything else is just a wrapper uh, over it, mm-hmm. including sparkling water. And what we do with these wrappers, we have R API, Python API, we mm-hmm. have... Uh, REST API, you can use it however you want. We even have our proprietary UI, we call it Flow. Mm-hmm. So what we do is we adjust to our users. So in case of sparkling water, these users of Spark are used to something and we are trying to give them the experience they are used to. We are not trying to make them change their behavior, change their habits. That's that's it. And the real platform running behind is H2O. That's where all the algorithms are implemented. That's where all the functionality is uh, being maintained. Uh, yeah, that's it, basically. 
So, so what does this H2O... Uh, do I have to see this as a... Uh, you talk about wrappers, so that's wrappers around a library or set of libraries that have different algorithms because uh, when I'm doing Python with scikit-learn or Spark, I already have my linear regressions and my uh, bit of random force in there. So how, how does H2O uh, come in there? Well, H2O, uh, first, these libraries uh, do not scale well, mm-hmm. mostly. You mean so the H2O standard will libraries? Take yeah, yeah, these standard libraries, of course. H2O is uh, somewhere in the middle between a library and a standalone uh, like process, product. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's capable of uh, maintaining large amount of data in memory. Everything uh, about H2O is in memory. And uh, you can have 20 machines, 50 machines. It can replicate on uh, like masses of machines. Mm-hmm. And then you just connect to it from Spark, from Python, from R, from anywhere. All right. So that's actually enlightening because I was assuming that you guys were using also the, the the scheduler behind Spark, which allows you to distribute your RDDs across multiple machines. But what you're saying here is that H2O already has this in its uh, in its own design, and the uh, sparkling water wrapper is predominantly what you say the the user interface, how the people communicate with H2O backend and API. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we don't. We use Spark, of course, we need to use in Sparkling Water, we need to use some specific Spark calls because we need to convert the data mm-hmm. into H2O format and vice versa. But once we are in H2O land, we actually use just H2O for communication. And just to uh, give more uh, information about the previous question, give more sure. information to previous question, uh, actually, uh, all the models and all the, algorit- all the algorithms in H2O are written from scratch uh, with having parallelism in mind. So we don't use any extra li- any additional libraries. Of course, we depend on some Java dependency, but mm-hmm. we don't use any machine learning libraries. Everything is written from scratch by some standard algorithm. And uh, when the platform was created, we were thinking about that this will be hugely scalable. This needs to be huge, hugely scalable. Mm-hmm. So for example, we parallelize the trees when we train uh, 3D models on different nodes and and things like that. So really, we try to parallelize as much as we can, and the algorithms were written with having this in mind. Uh, do you also have algorithms that you guys have that the other guys don't have? Because uh, I mean, certain things are easily parallelizable, but other things are a lot harder. Well, we have mostly the standard stuff. Mm-hmm. Our advantage is, like Kuba said, we have uh, this uh, parallel implementations. For example, GBM, our GBM, has special optimizations inside that will run faster. I dare to say it's, it's the fastest uh, accessible GBM algo you can get right now for free. Mm-hmm. And GBM That's stands just for, for instance. Uh, GBM, Graded Boosting Machines. Yeah. <laughs> Just trying to avoid acronyms here. Um, okay, uh, sounds good. Now, was the standard parallelization of the standard Spark and scikit-learn thing so bad that we really needed uh, H2O? I mean, uh, how much of a difference should one see here? How, how, wh- wh- when should somebody start looking at H2O and when should somebody not? Or should somebody always look for H2O? It's, it's really uh, difficult to say because most of the standard libraries are not parallelized at all. 
or mm -hmm. maybe locally, but what we do is distribute it, not just in parallel, but distribute it. So H2O, it's very easy to make H2O run on many machines. Mm -hmm. If you run on Spark, then it will just spawn many H2O instances and they automatically communicate uh, among each other and uh, they will sort uh, everything for you. The distribution, the uh, load balancing, everything is just handled for you. So it really helps a lot. The standard libraries uh, usually don't do that. Uh, you just run on one machine uh, and you're limited with that machine's capabilities. Your um, memory, your hard drive, your processing power and that stuff. Mm. I can definitely see the case for uh, if you're looking at R, uh, open R is multi-threaded, but if you want to have multi-chassis R, you need to have uh, R Studio or something like that. But Spark and Mellib also has some... Uh, cluster spanning algorithms, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, there is Spark ML and Spark MLlib. Uh, something like native machine learning implementation in Spark environment. Mm -hmm. uh, what we realized, it didn't... At the point when we start working on Spark and Motor, we realized that it's not ideal. Uh, we saw a few few sketches in the in the design not not everything was ideal and uh, we weren't happy with the performance so that's why we decided to go for a sparkling motor we wanted to give the users the our machine learning which we which we think is uh, is uh, performing a bit better uh, also in uh, in h2o we don't do we don't usually do public benchmarks we do public benchmark for some specific uh, some specific libraries, but we don't have public benchmark for Sparkling Motor. We do not believe that we should be the ones doing the benchmarks because then outside people from outside the company might think we just use nice datasets which work just nice with H2 and Sparkling Motor. But there are external people like Silar Pavka from California. He's from Poland, but he lives in California. And he does uh, open source benchmarks of H2 and Spark Motor platform. Mm -hmm. He's not affiliated to H2 at all. So yeah, yeah. when we always talk about comparison of ML, MLlib, H2, Spark Motor, I always suggest looking at some open source benchmarks first. Because me, me talking about Spark Motor <laughs> is amazing. Of course, I can do that. I love the product. It's like my child, but <laughs> you know, you that's might be not a bit biased there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, I really like that actually, because most of the statistics and benchmarks you see from companies, they're, they're marketing, right? So having uh, this approach is uh, quite nice. Also, Dave and I, we've had this, we have this idea that synthetic benchmarks are just that, they're synthetic, they're not necessarily representative of what you're doing. It's much better to have your own use case running and do your benchmarks yourself. So when you upgrade to a new version, you can really compare apples to apples and not some kind of synthetic banana. <laughs> mm -hmm. Also, mm -hmm. maybe... Uh, Regarding the ML and MLlib, also maybe we will get to that question later. But what what Spark, where Spark is going recently, is that they are actually allowing other libraries to be used inside of Spark environment. They are opening the Spark Spark applications to use for it, so H two can be used inside. We can actually use TensorFlow easily from Spark, Spark and so on. So they are not. Spark stopped being tied directly to ML or MLlib, mm -hmm. and actually it's opening towards additional libraries. Yeah, I guess uh, Samsara would be one of those then. That's the old, uh, what was the old name again, Dave? Maybe you remember. Uh... Mahout is what you're seeking. 
Mahout, yes, Mahout. Ah, yeah. yes. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure about Mahout. Uh, this is more like libraries you can you can plug in. Yeah. Uh, TensorFlow, yeah. H2O, Keras, things like that. I'm not sure about Mahout if it can be directly plugged in into Spark. Yeah. Well, the Samsara that's, approach that's like, was their idea to do that. Hmm. Oh, okay, okay, I didn't yeah. know that. <laughs> yeah, but again, as you said, they're not that popular anymore. I haven't really seen mm -hmm. them uh, alive. Mm -hmm. To be honest. All right, but so if I understand correctly, when they have H2O in their Spark environment as a user, I always have the choice to go for the ML lib or the H2O approach. I can just select which algorithm I want at whichever point I want to. But I, on the other hand, since this is all open source H2O, there shouldn't be any reason not to use this. Or are there reasons not to use H2O? Can you be devil, devil's advocate? <laughs> Sparkling water has, of course, some disadvantages uh, which we need to deal with. Uh, and one of them is really technical. But if I try to explain it on in non-technical terms, basically, we are limited by Spark not giving us information about all available executors in mm -hmm. advance. So we are not able we are not able to start H2O deterministically on all Spark executors, which would basically give us the full, we would, that would mean that we would use the full cluster. Yeah. There are some technical sketches in the, in the design. Actually, Spark is designed like that, uh, which are preventing us from doing that. So somehow this might be a small complication, but we have also ways how to deal with that. We have like different sparkling water solution. We have different backends. Uh, which are actually solving this issue. So it's it's kind of known issue. Uh, we know how to deal with it, but people who usually start with Sparkling Boulder on big data, this really yeah. this issue is observable when you really talk about big data and tens of executors. Uh, then they might need to think about this. Is this something we need to we want to continue with, or should we? Should we use the other sparkling motor approach, which I can also yeah. mention? Yeah, but that's going into the technical, and let's leave the technical for uh, a bit later, let's say. So I think and maybe we'll go there. Yeah. And are about H2O, H2O advantages and disadvantages, maybe Pavel can tell us something. Yeah, because H2O is behind, behind it all. Uh, it has some learning curve, so that's one disadvantage. Uh, we are trying to make it as familiar to various users as, as we can, but uh, there is still some learning curve. Mm -hmm. You have to you have to know how to run it. It's very easy, but still it's not as obvious as the standard library available. And then we might not have all the all the algorithms, to be honest. We have them all. We have the most used ones. Mm -hmm. uh, the production-ready ones, but uh, the cutting-edge algorithms might take a while to implement, like half a year, a year. It really depends. Yeah, I'm assuming you also you're community-driven that way, that when there's enough demand for a certain algorithm or new whatever it is, that you will give more priority to it? Uh, sure, yeah, we are community-driven, and we also give something back to the community. Usually, for example, XGBoost, uh, we yeah. are actively uh, developing it right now. There are some people dedicated to work on that. So you were talking about H2O is the, this is talking about the open source part of H2O. So things like uh, driverless AI, which is the, um, com the commercials, 
product uh, from H2O, let's say, uh, mm-hmm. is that totally incompatible with uh, sparkling water? Or is it uh, you can't put it on, but then you need to pay a license? Or how should I see that? Is it, is it limited to just the open source H2O part? Or is the rest also possibly available if you pay for it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is perfect question. Thank you. <laughs> so this actually driverless AI is different product, but the model artifacts which are produced by driverless mm-hmm. uh, can actually be used inside H2O and sparkling water. So at the okay. moment you can you can't run driverless on Spark or sparkling water. Mm-hmm. You just need to run it on uh, in Docker machines or AWS or Azure. Mm-hmm. You are prepared for that, but you can run it directly on Spark. Uh, there might be plans for supporting that in the future, but right now it's not possible. But what it's what we try to exp- uh, what we try to stress out that actually the platform is one. E- even though you train your model on driverless AI or on H2, uh, you are able to productionalize it in sparkling water. If the model comes from driverless or H2 or sparkling water. Okay, so you guys make sure that if you have a pipeline, a flow, that it all interconnects with each other, even if it doesn't run on the same uh, computer-based uh, infrastructure, let's say. Yes, yes, exactly. Like the model model artifacts are a bit different, so you need to use. At this stage, it's not completely unified, but uh, you need to use like two different calls. But once you, let's say, convert it, you can work with those two artifacts in the same ways. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, this all sounds so common sense and obvious to make this all better. What makes you guys so special that you thought of this and nobody else did? There are so many, so many small advantages to H2O, and uh, it adds up as a whole. And mm-hmm. the whole platform, having one platform behind it all, means it's interoperable. Yeah. You might have uh, colleagues who like to use uh, R, Python, even Spark, and you're able to interchange work and maybe continue where the other one left off uh, it also makes uh, maintenance much easier so we have because uh, we have one common platform it makes it very easy to distribute the updates to all the platforms yeah what I was getting at actually was more uh, how much effort has this taken from uh, the company from H2O to build all this how long have you been working on this because it all uh, sounds like common sense to do this. It's easy, right? But I can imagine there's a lot of work behind all this. Yeah, it's it's not it's not easy at all. It's uh, several years just to build the technical part of the backend, and I'm not talking about data science. It's mm-hmm. several years just to make it technically right, to make it fast, parallel distributed. That's what we talk about. Yep. And then you have these algorithms, and you have to read the papers behind them. Mm-hmm. You have to make it parallel. You have to make it numerically stable. Uh, you have to write tests, verify it, test it on in many environments, on many operating yeah. systems. So that's what takes several years to do. I believe more than seven years right now. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Because this is not the typical uh, um, data scientist's work. Because a lot of data scientists, they don't develop algorithms. They use algorithms. They know how to choose the right algorithm for a certain use case and then do iterations on whatever they're doing, their model. But this is just really looking at the inside of the algorithm to see how you can actually parallelize this in an optimal fashion. So we need to know all of the math and statistics behind it then. Yeah, we have dedicated people to uh, do that, mainly in California, mainly. Mm -hmm. 
there is some university research behind H2O. Many researchers uh, used to work on it, on, on many of those algorithms. There is usually uh, somebody specialized in specific algo mm-hmm. who takes care of it, who maintains it, maybe makes it better over time. So this is really how we work. Then there are those engineers which do the non-data scientist part and they basically make it work <laughs> in the real world, not just on the paper. Oh, if it works on paper, it's fine, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, moving on to uh, through the questions here because uh, we're taking up a lot of time here. Um, are there any situations where sparkling water isn't required and just H2O? I think I already answered a bit of that, but if you could just uh, clarify that. Uh, yeah, that's also a good question. So I'm inclined for sparkling water, but there are also use cases where sparkling water is a bit overhead, mm-hmm. uh, such as when you when you decide to start on some machine learning tasks, uh, you don't already have Spark deployed, uh, and you don't have basically just a quick. Uh, Side side note, Spark is amazing if you need to work a lot with the data. If you need to do lots of data cleansing, mm-hmm. data joins, preparation, it's it has at this moment it has more features than H2. We are catching up, mm-hmm. uh, but right now Spark offers us more methods. So if you if you don't need all these all these feature transformation methods, uh, uh, feature sorry, uh, data transformation okay. methods, then you might go directly to H2 because it's less complexity. Yeah, I mean, you're referring here to the fact that most Spark scripts are 80% data cleansing and 20% real algorithm calling, iterating over the results of the model, right? Yeah, yeah, and also, yeah, yeah, like you said, and it's just easier. It's just easier to start with a simple platform first. You can scale. Mm-hmm. You can you can bring more complexity later. What we mm-hmm. always try to tell people. Start with the simple stuff. Don't try to overcomplicate it. Like sparkling water is simple to use, but if you need to set up it, mm-hmm. it takes a bit more time than just starting with, H- with H2. Pavel can even, when we get to the technical details, Pavel yeah. can tell us the difference between starting H2O and, and sparkling water. Yeah, the real power behind H2O is that you can install it on your uh, laptop and really start small. Mm-hmm. You don't need Spark, you don't need big clusters, you don't need anything, and just give it a try. And if you like it, if it uh, if it seems to you that it's, it's good, then you might start building some models, adding machines, and you might end up with Spark. That's right. also one use case. Yeah, but what I'm hearing here mostly is that if you already have a Spark environment and your data scientists are used to working in that Spark environment and you want to use uh, H2O, instead of teaching the people a completely, well, they have to learn a, a new data API, a new a new yeah program API perhaps, but they can still do all of the H2O stuff in their, in their known environment, in the Spark shell that they like and love so much. Yeah, but, that's the, the, the most easier transformation for them yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. because they don't need to change much they just yeah. need to do a few technical calls in their in their scripts and that's it um so do you have any examples of what people have actually done with sparkling water where it made sense to use it and uh, any public use cases mm-hmm. you can talk about uh so we have a few companies who are using sparkling water uh one customer is for example booking.com based in mm-hmm. amsterdam yep and uh, they are using sparkling water well 
for what they do. They are pretty. When you when you open the page, you see lots of you see lots of hotels, and there is lots of magic behind it. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of lots of lots of models and uh, lots of lots of predictions. So they actually use sparkling water in production environment. Uh, it's a really massively parallelized system. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the one of the use cases. Uh, and was, uh, sorry, just cases. to interrupt you there for a second, was their reasoning mm-hmm. to go with sparkling water because they were already using Spark and they wanted to add the the, the power of H two O to it? Uh, yeah, I believe this was the case. They already had uh, Spark. They are using Spark, mm-hmm. uh, and using sparkling water was just natural step. Yeah, 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 yeah. because. Their data scientists liked H2O. Uh, we are happy that they decided to use H2O, mm-hmm. and it was good stuff for them. Also, maybe we didn't mention, but maybe it's kind of implicit. We are really community and customer driven. So we were working tightly with the customer with Booking.com to make it work. So it, it's not just okay. We don't have this feature. It it will take. It's it's not possible to do in your case. We always try to push hard and make it work for the customer. Yeah, actually, I remember that uh, when we when we met uh, last year in October at the H2O conference in uh, London, which was a brilliant conference, by the way. I remember one of the booking guys being on stage talking about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was, I believe, it was Luca. Maybe I'm not sure. I there is uh, lots of lots of <laughs> lots of brilliant lots of brilliant people in Booking.com. I met uh, like Dennis, uh, Ben, Luca, <laughs> but I'm not sure who was that. So they were talking about their use case. It's actually yeah. online. You can you can you can find it on YouTube, and yeah. it's amazing talk. Yeah, and our listeners can go to our episode number 113 that has the links in it to the YouTube uh, videos as well. So, mm-hmm. uh, okay, great, great stuff. So, uh, okay, one more question. We've been talking about this driverless AI thing, and we're not going to go into detail here now because uh, we really want to do an entire episode on driverless AI because when we saw that, it really looks like something that's very useful as well in its own right. But if I just look at the marketing around driverless AI, I might understand that we don't need data scientists anymore. We don't need to code anymore. Driverless AI will solve everything. Is driverless AI going to replace sparkling water, make it obsolete? Uh, I'm not convinced about that completely. Mm-hmm. Definitely, there is a push in H2O to automate AI, and we believe in that. That there is lots of tasks in AI which needs, which can be automated, and actually people can do better, more, more fun stuff. Uh, but at this stage, I don't believe that sparkling water. There is also lots of tasks which we can automate at the moment, such as the data cleansing, mm-hmm. uh, data preparation. What driverless AI is actually perfect in is that it will you give it the data set and it will it will find out like automatic all the feature interactions uh, and it will build the base model on the right set of features uh, so it will automatically do feature feature transformations. Mm-hmm. We also have H two Auto ML in open source H two O, which is kind of similar except that we don't do feature transformations there we just it's like fancy hyper search over the models can you explain a bit further but yeah uh, yeah so what h2 auto ml does it just you give it for example 10 minutes uh, and you say maximum number of 30 models 
And within this given constraint, it will just try to search through some specific list of hyperparameters and give you the best model it can mm-hmm. get according to some specific matrices you define, such as AUC yeah. uh, and so on. Uh, so this is like open source implementation, but driverless AI goes way further. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why it's a closed source product because we put lots of data science effort into the feature transformations. Yeah, 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 yeah. And also, I mean, hyper parameter tuning that's within one algorithm, right? While the um, uh, driverless AI also will select the best algorithm for you, right? Actually, that's also what AutoML okay. will do for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Currently, the main feature it lacks is just the feature engineering. Okay. And a nice yellow UI, of course. Yeah. And feature engineering, what you mean there, if I remember correctly, that's uh, looking at the raw data set and deciding which columns are the good columns to use for whatever you're doing, and also making certain combinations of columns to build new features that might even improve the model further. Is that correct? Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. For example, if you have your tree-based model, it will it will start split it it doesn't it might not don't know exactly where to start splitting the trees mm-hmm. you need to give it that specific information so driverless ai can like extract these feature inter this feature the specific features from your from your mod from your data which actually can be used nicely when you start splitting the model and it can give you better results all right but of course, with any kind of automated thing, you're kind of at the mercy of the automation at that point, while human creativity can also still work stuff. So AutoML allows you to do pretty much the same thing with a bit more granular control over the whole thing then. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't say the same thing, really. Mm-hmm. Except the feature engineering. <laughs> yeah, you can, you can, there is like full team, like, a large team of driverless AI developers behind driverless AI and H2. So it's really going, it's really a uh, massive product. So it's not completely the same. I wouldn't say that it just, it, AutoML is just driverless without feature, feature transformations. It goes to different length. But if you would need to super, super simplify that, yes. Okay, so we really Pavel need to do an episode to, on driverless AI then. <laughs> Yeah, Pavel wanted to uh, add something. Yeah, actually, maybe AutoML has even more algorithms than driverless right now, but I'm not sure because those are added uh, very quickly to, mm-hmm. to driverless. And what you can also do with H2 open source is uh, grab the model created by AutoML and just uh, continue from there okay. and uh, do your own customizations, do your own adjustments, and then productionize it. Okay, so that would actually help the data scientists to not have to do the the, the boring work, let's say, but let the auto- yeah, yeah, it's the lazy AI. data scientists helper. <laughs> well, the smart data scientists, let's call it that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, actually, it's a good uh, segue into my next question. Actually, so who would be the primary user of sparkling water? What uh, at the moment you have in the whole industry, you have these uh, roles uh, called uh, data scientist, data engineer, machine learning scientist, and probably a couple of new ones uh, sprung up overnight. Uh, who would be the kind of person that's working with sparkling water? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there can be two specific sets of people. It can be both data scientists and data engineers. Uh, so 
when when we come to the model life cycle, you fir- first need to sketch some data pipeline and you need to train your model. So that's where data scientists come to play and they need to experiment with the model, experiment with the pipeline. And for example, they prefer to use R or Python. They are not that familiar with Java or Scala. So we want to have like, we want to have easy to use environment where they can experiment easily. Uh, but, but once we go to deployment, uh, personally, I prefer JVM based languages for deployment stuff. And uh, it gives you like compile time safety and things mm-hmm. like that. So for data engineers and the people who productionize this stuff, they use also a different subset of Spartan water to productionize like this. They may, might use Scala API. They might go to more, more, lang- more, 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 they can go deeper mm-hmm. into Spartan water. So like these two, these two, these two specific people. It's not for absolute beginners. Yeah. Uh, well, of course, you can start with it. It's fairly simple. But uh, again, comparing to driverless AI, driverless AI is designed for people who, of course, know something, uh, but they don't need to know all the details about machine learning. When you when you go to Spark Motor and H two, you need to have some specific knowledge how to tune the models. Uh, as a data scientist yeah, or yeah. At, uh, like that. Because I've been seeing with uh, customers I visit sometimes who don't have real data scientists, but you have the, the statisticians and sometimes database administrators that start playing with Spark a bit and basically they're cut and pasting stuff from, I don't know, Stack Overflow or whatever they find it. Mm-hmm. And basically they know what uh, that a linear regression will do some kind of prognosticating and the logistic regression will do classification and okay let's try that and see if it works so without having any real insight in what the um, algorithm does below the the covers if i'm using the h2o can can the same modus operandi be used can i use it the same way i'm not saying it's a good way <laughs> but can i still use mm-hmm. the same way or am i do i already need to have more insight in the behind the scenes working of those algorithms to really be able to use with it to, to work with it. Uh, so if I understand the question, mm-hmm. the question is about how how different is using H2, like H2 algorithm than, than Spark? Spark well, do you, need, Spark do, you mere, do you need more scientific, mathematical knowledge to go ah, H2O? Or is if you can play with Spark today, you can very easily move on to H2O just by learning a new, uh, a new selection of APIs, new selection of library calls? Yeah. Uh, just from the usage yeah. level, not from the deployment implementation mm-hmm. of the whole infrastructure. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Uh, in Spark and Motor, we try to simplify things, of course, for the users. Uh, not oversimplify. Uh, we give them all the uh, we expose all the available arguments to our models, so they can really tune it. Uh, but this is the way how Spark does things as well. Uh, Spark enables you to tool the to the tool the algorithms, tool the, to configure the transformers according to your needs. So we try to be consistent with Spark. That's mm-hmm. the main main number one goal in Spark Motor. Be consistent with what Spark does and how Spark works. Uh, when it comes to... So I would say it's not that different when it comes to usage. H2O and Spark Motor can be... It's fairly simple. <laughs> it's always simple if you know it, right? <laughs> yeah. So... It's the it's the it's very similar when it comes to usage. I would say uh, like the complexity of usage. Mm-hmm. And do you have the same pitfalls then? Because one of the big things that every beginning Spark user does is uh, collect, which means that your driver will crash because it's running out of memory. 
I'm assuming that since H2O is also a parallelized uh, level uh, tool environment, you have the same kind of things you have to be wary of, or is there a difference there? So in Sparkling Motor, of course, you can do collect and you can bring all the data set, even though if it was trained on H- using H2O, you can bring it to driver and basically see nice out of memory <laughs> issue. Uh, but if I'm uh, aware of H2O, there is no such method like collect of collecting data, but Pavel can tell us more. Oh, yeah, <laughs> well, of course, H2O is behind sparkling water, so you can definitely run out of memory with H2O, no problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's uh, much harder to do because we do our best uh, to free memory as soon as possible for you, so you don't have to take um, care of that. And uh, it's much harder. That's it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I think that we don't. Sorry, and I don't think we don't have any explicit method like collect, which will bring your data to one node. <laughs> no, we have exit, which will, or shutdown, which will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> shutdown H two O. Yeah, but that doesn't try to get you data. It's it's more you know, it's a more efficient way of crashing your system if you do a yeah. shutdown. <laughs> All right, you totally made me lose my track of uh, my, my train of thought. <laughs> yeah. here but now. if if H two runs out of memory, or if it sees, it actually tries to see if it's going to run out of uh-huh. memory soon. Then it tries to free the bits that are not really necessary at the moment. Okay, so I just try to optimize it and ex- mm-hmm. extend your life as much as possible there. Yes. Uh, another thing that a lot of Spark users trip over is when they have uh, a counter that needs to be shared across all the executors. They have uh, Spark has two different special kinds of uh, variables that allow you to still, I don't know, uh, add up things across the executors. Uh, do you have a similar mm-hmm. kind of approach in H2O or do you just uh, leverage the Spark version? Or uh, When it comes to sharing... Uh, state or like lookup tables. State, yes. So we try to be... Yeah, of course we can we can do share state amongst H2O nodes, but I don't think we uh, do that massively. Of course, we have a special node in the class which is called H2O Leader, which might contain more information uh, about the computation. Maybe Pavel has more information about that. I didn't spend much on the this concept in H2O. Uh, yeah, so basically we have some amount of shared state, but that's only internal and it's really small amount, mm-hmm. as small as possible. It might even start on uh, size of kilobytes, let's say, and not even grow. Uh, for some, of course, there is MapReduce inside, so some amount of data is transferred over the network between the nodes. But uh, of course, we try to limit this uh, as much as possible, mm-hmm. and uh, we try to keep the data local. Yeah, but so, that's mostly from from your point of view, from the the the, the H two O backend point of view. I'm more referring to the accumulators and broadcast variables that are used Spark. Yeah, we don't have such things in H two. That's the super simple answer okay. to that. So <laughs> if I want to share a, a lookup table, I just have to reach out to whatever yeah, you, the table is or yeah you you can bring it to one specific node uh, but that will that will that will actually mean that you need to you need to call some distributed operation which will bring the lookup table to one specific node all right so how do the other nodes then talk to that node to get that lookup table uh 
Usually using the mapper, mapper do tasks, we, we know we know all the nodes in the cluster, so we can execute specific tasks which can call any code on the specific nodes, so we can collect the data from the specific nodes. Okay, but that happens in the back end. Yeah, yeah. it okay. happens in the back end. Okay. Yeah, and basically this shouldn't even happen because uh, from the perspective of common user, you just um, your uh, Spark. API is translated to some commands that HTO listens to, <laughs> and uh, there is nothing like that. So this is very hard to achieve. Oh, okay. Normally, everything is distributed, and the amount of uh, shared state is kept low. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. most of the time, yes, you can achieve that if you really want to. But then you would have to become an H2O API expert <laughs> and really abuse H2O. Well, actually, yeah. now you mention it, is it possible for me as a user of H2O to, uh, when I'm working with uh, the Spark environment with H2O libraries to 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 dig through the abstraction layer, go down the, into the wrapper and change things under the hood? Or do I need to be a uh, uh, total Java expert on that point? So... I'm just curious myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like you can... We can break things, of course, Uh the thing is, in H2O, we have a really nice R and Python API, and we don't have proper Java API at this time. Uh, we have specific methods, but it's not really polished API. So if people start playing with that piece of code, they might start doing things, things which it actually don't want to do. Yeah, the main entry point to H2O right now is uh, REST API. Yep. which all these clients use. And you can break stuff with REST API. That's also <laughs> powerful enough. So, yeah, you can, you can do that. You can, um, well, there is still H2O instance running uh, on the backend. So, yes, you can connect to that. It's simple REST API. Uh, you can see it in, in our code base on GitHub. It's really simple to find. And then you can start abusing it. But we don't recommend that <laughs> well i guess you do a lot of testing to make sure things work right yeah well of course you need to you need to you need to spend some time and have some effort on breaking stuff like yeah, as yeah. you said we, we we test it properly of course we do welcome people to break it but we try to capture that soon <laughs> Now, you've been talking about R and Python APIs. Uh, I'm assuming, but I could be wrong here, because uh, R on Spark does exist, but if you're using an R front-end, then you would not go to Sparkling Water, or do you actually see people using R on Spark, on Sparkling Water, on H2O? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a good one. So there is actually lots of people who are using Sparkling Water in R. Okay. Uh, and as you said at the beginning, there is a Studio which is not distributed, it's just one node and you can do machine learning in one sing on one single machine which just doesn't scale. And what we actually give, we give the people possibility to, again, still use Studio but connect to the remote Sparkle Motor cluster. So their, their, their data is distributed, all algorithms are not distributed, but they can still interact with that cluster using our language, using our API, Sparkling Water, our API. Yeah. It feels like they are using uh, the R API, the 
default packages they are used to. Sometimes there are small differences, but we try uh, to make the differences as small as possible. Mm -hmm. But overall, the feeling is the same. But uh, the heavy lifting is really done by H2O on the backend or yeah. sparkling water, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's also why I mentioned that we don't have really proper Java API. We we like. We are definitely improving that. We have Scala API and we are consistently improving the Java API. But at the beginning, we decided to spend more time on really nice Python and R APIs because uh, that's what most of the data science people use. Now, actually, do you spend more time with the R side or more time with the Python side? Uh, who's winning the battle at the moment? Uh, <laughs> more time fixing it or <laughs> developing it? Um, helping people use it, let's call it that. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's 50-50 probably okay. uh, when it comes to helping people using it. But fixing it, it's usually more time spent in R. <laughs> Is that because it breaks more or it's harder to fix? <laughs> you no, can, no, you no, can no. say Actually, I don't know. <laughs> uh, R is more demanding language. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, so it's you have to think about it a little bit more in R than, than in Python. Yeah, yeah. But then it pays off actually because the f mm -hmm. you are sure it, it's done well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now definitely for R is a more concise language. It allows you to do a lot uh, things a lot shorter, a lot shorter scripts. I mean, you can do everything in Spark or Python and R. They both work as well, let's say. But I've seen pages of Spark that can actually be a simple couple of lines in. R, which, but I don't like R myself too much, so let's not go there. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, just because my, my customers usually go into the Python Spark version for some reason. I have no idea ah, why yeah, that yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah, we, oh, we don't want to start flame war here. Uh, see, that's <laughs> what I'm trying to do to get some, some heat in the air. <laughs> okay, I like R, kind of, recently, so... <laughs> I mean, I'm always impressed by the visualization possibilities of R. I mean, they, they, it's so easy to put some nice visuals on, on on the screen in R while in Spark, and I always have to spend more time making that nice for some reason. Although I must say that the uh, Zeppelin and the Python notebooks are getting a lot better, but uh, for some reason, that's where those guys... Yeah, actually, R, R is um, much easier to use if you just want to manipulate data and do the data science-oriented tasks, mm -hmm. but we also need to do some computer science engineering when we talk to H2O and this part is actually harder yeah. in, in R. So that's how it really is. And we're back. So that was the first part of the interview with uh, Kuba and Pavel. I hope uh, our listeners can agree that that was some uh, excellent content and it's not all. It's about half of what we recorded with them. The second half will be going out on the next topic show, which is going to be in two weeks because we're going to have a new show in between, of course. Uh, big thank you already to Pavel and uh, Kuba for being uh, being here, spending some time with us, uh, but uh, more to come. Anything to add from your end? Nothing else from me. Then that's all the time we have for today. We hope you enjoyed this serving of bite-sized sparkling water big data. We will be back next week with a new episode. Until then, please go to www.roaringelephant.org where you can find more information, including a feedback form. You can also follow us on Twitter using the at Hadoopcast tag and contact us by email to podcast at roaringelephant.org. Send us any thoughts, comments, criticisms, and other feedback. Until next time, my name is John. And my name is Dave. And look forward to talking to you next week. Bye. See you then. 